Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. Last week we started a series called Resilience, and it began with this simple thought that Uh, When you look at growth and maturity in uh, a person's spiritual journey, there is a place where endurance gives way to perseverance, and perseverance should result in what is resilience, and that those things are very distinct and very different, but they are kind of a progression and build on one another, and there's a cycle of maturity that is created by those things. And the idea of endurance has to do with kind of withstanding pressure. It's holding your ground perseverance is choosing to move forward in spite of that difficulty, and then resilience is the ability to snap back into shape or to retain your shape uh, at the end of that journey. If you think of it kind of like a stress ball, some of you uh, may have those in your office. Parents, I would just highly recommend you have a few hidden around the house, but a stress ball, right? You squeeze it, and then when you let go, it retains its shape, pops back into place. And so there's a way for us to grow where we not only endure and withstand and move forward through kind of difficulties in life, but where we actually snap back into shape. We we retain our whole self at the end of that. And this morning, we're going to move from that idea of just kind of growing in maturity and, and having that expressed in a generality to start to look through the next several weeks at how to apply that to our spiritual growth and then to specific areas of our life. And so this morning we're going to be talking about how to have resilient faith, to develop a resilience in our faith so that when we go through times where we have to endure, where we have to persevere, that when we come out on the other side of that, that our faith is still whole and intact. It snaps back into shape and we retain that resiliency in that place. There's a well-known aphorism that states there are no atheists in foxholes. Maybe you've heard somebody say that, and it's just a statement that suggests that in times of difficulty, people are more apt to cry out in desperation and particularly to cry out into kind of spiritual types of pursuits. And I think that that would be probably true of all of us here. Uh, We have a tendency to pray more, to pray more uh, uh, frequently, uh, and to pray more deeply when we're going through times of difficulty. Uh, And that's a natural human response to challenges in our life, especially when they're out of our control and we're starting to wane in our own strength. Uh, But there are also probably examples that you can think of. There's certainly those in Scripture, but it's likely that you have uh, examples in your own life of individuals or people that you observed or you knew or you watched who were able to have genuine and courageous faith demonstrated consistently. Like regardless of the highs or lows that they were going through, regardless of what challenges that they faced, that they demonstrated this ability to stand firm, to move forward, and then to retain the whole uh, of their faith on the other side of that. That there was a resiliency to their faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about faith and describes it in this way. He, he says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not 
see. Uh, one of the other translations would say that it's the substance of what we do not see. That it's not just kind of wishing upon a star, it's not just wishful thinking, but faith has kind of this rooted, grounded, and founded hope and assurance and confidence of what is going to come to pass. And if you were to continue to read all of chapter 11 from Hebrews, and maybe that's something that you want to do this week on your own, it goes into a list of what a lot of times we call the hall of faith. And it's a list of men and women, primarily from the Old Testament, who demonstrated great faith and resilient faith in spite of difficult circumstances. And you bump into people uh, in there like Abraham and Moses, and you bump into names like Samson and David, maybe, maybe names that you're familiar with from the Old Testament, these different narratives where people demonstrated tremendous faith. But what the writer of Hebrews begins to kind of build out is our expectation that faith is more than just like wishful thinking, and it's not just like believe until you receive type of a thing that you can just kind of wish things into motion. But what you see demonstrated is that real faith is something that uh, contributes to the way that we know and understand, and it moves us to action. And all of the narratives that are referenced in Hebrews chapter 11, people were moved to be certain of what they knew, and they were moved to act in response to that. That faith is something that produces uh, 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 an understanding and an activity that moves us forward. And so when it comes to this idea of resilient faith, resilient faith is more than just, okay, I just, I believe this, but where I am so convinced and, uh, and I know with certainty that I'm going to act on it, even though the evidence of what is going on around me may suggest something contrary to what I know in faith to be true, and I won't be moved as a result of that. As we begin uh, this morning, I want to introduce a few questions for you to kind of start with. And maybe one of these will jump out. If, if there's one that kind of primarily grabs your heart, I would hold on to that and allow the Lord to speak to that area. Otherwise, all of these are going to be something that would be helpful at some point. But I want you to just close your eyes for a moment and entertain these questions. Maybe, maybe think about this. What happens to your faith when things get difficult? Like, what, hap what happens to you, to your faith, when things get difficult? What happens to your faith when you're unsure of what to do, right? When, you have, when, you're, when you're not sure what's going on or how things are gonna work or you're not sure what direction to go, what, what begins to happen to your faith? What happens to your faith when your prayers seem to go unanswered? What happens to your faith when you face anxiety or depression or grief or loss or you perceive an injustice? What happens to your faith when you're overcome with fear? All right, go ahead and open your eyes if you've still got them closed. Most of us, most of us would admit that at some point in entertaining those questions and walking through those types of circumstances that our faith starts to waver. That if we're honest, that there's, there's waves of doubt, there's waves of concern, there's ways of distraction that all come and serve as kind of a weakening or a wavering of our faith at times. That when I go through seasons like that, there's a tendency for my faith to lose its elasticity and its resiliency and to become deflated, as we kind of talked about last week. 
And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you a picture of what resilient faith looks like. And scripture is full of examples that would fit into this type of a lens or consideration. But we're going to look at one primary story this morning. But what it looks like to have resilient faith. And then for you and I, the hopeful answer of how do we develop that? How do we develop that so that when I'm entertaining these questions that I just walked through, there are less and less times and moments where my faith is wavering and more and more of a resiliency built into the way that I respond to those things in my life. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app this morning. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts to hear from your word. And Lord, give us courageous faith to respond. Lord, that we would know with certainty and we would act with purpose to follow you into the promises that you have for us. And Lord, that we would become men and women of God who have resilience when it comes to our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going uh, to look at what it looks like to have resilient faith. With your Bible out, I want to encourage you to go to Daniel Daniel chapter 3 that's going to be in the Old Testament um, and really we're going to be looking through Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3 if you're somebody who likes to go into further study or if you like a more complete picture of some of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning I would encourage you in your own time this week maybe read chapters 1, 2, and 3 from the book of Daniel but before we begin in Daniel chapter 3 I'm going to give you a little bit of a background of the book and on the context of what's happening Daniel chapter 3 is uh, or excuse me the book of Daniel opens up on the people of God having been carried away into exile uh, it actually opens up with this idea that this king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar has come in and he has basically ransacked Jerusalem. Uh, the Judah uh, as a nation has fallen and the people of God have been carried away into what's referred to as exile. They're just, they're deported back to uh, Babylon um, in, and uh, become basically uh, a part of that culture and context. They're being taken back in order to be um, uh, really taught and trained and then um, integrated into the culture. And the king uh, of Babylon at the time, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, and he was, he was not a, a chill dude. Like, he was somebody who was uh, pretty harsh, and he was very violent. In fact, if you read the end of uh, Second Kings, uh, the last king of Judah, his name was Zedekiah, when Jerusalem fell, and when he was taken into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar had all of his sons killed in front of him, and then after that happened, he took out Zedekiah's eyes and then deported him back to Babylon. So th th there was no chill in uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He was a very violent type of a leader and it was a violent empire that he led. If you're somebody who likes world history and you kind of want to watch the rise and falls of empires, the Babylonian empire at this time was the empire that controlled the world. It had followed the Assyrian empire and then the Persians are coming on the heels of that. And so that kind of gives you your world history overview. But Nebuchadnezzar is in charge. Nebuchadnezzar's running the world and Nebuchadnezzar has no chill. And in Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar decides that he is going to make a monument to himself, a monument to his own greatness. He's gonna celebrate that and he's gonna cause everybody that he has uh, influence over to also join in that celebration. 
And when the Babylonians would come in and they would overtake a culture or they would overtake a community or they would overtake a nation, what they would do is they would deport back to the capital the best and the brightest, the people of influence and the people of affluence, the people who had potential, and they would bring them and they would basically re-educate them into Babylonian culture and politics, and then they would utilize them in the leadership of, uh, of the empire. And so there was a whole group of people who had been deported from Jerusalem, had been deported from Judea, who were being re-educated and then integrated into that context. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel is one of them, and that's the namesake of the book. And then he's got three friends that if you went to Sunday school, you would know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So there's these three guys that kind of are the three amigos over here, Daniel's over here, all together. They're like the cool quattro or something like that. And they're, they're the center uh, characters, really, within this, uh, within this book. And in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden statue. He makes, a, he makes a statue of himself. It's 90 feet high. It's 9 feet wide. It's made out of gold. Sets it up on a plane. He gathers everybody together. He gets the Babylonian band together. Like in scripture, it talks about all the different artists and all the different uh, musicians that are going to come. They're going to play the music. And then he makes this declaration of what he expects to take place as he uh, dedicates this. He says, when you hear the music, fall down and worship, or you will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. All right, so again, we talked about how this guy didn't have any, any chill at all. There was no grace. There was no kind of middle ground. There was no conversation here. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so that's how chapter 3 begins with Nebuchadnezzar setting up a monument to himself, throwing a whole empire-wide party, and everybody gets to participate, everybody gets to be a part of this, or everybody gets to be part of the barbecue afterwards in the way that this works. And so as you begin to read, the herald proclaims this, the music plays, and it says that Every person, uh, every tribe, every people, every language, right? So it's giving this, this blanket statement that everybody kind of involved fell down and began to worship. And then in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3, it says at that time there were some astrologers. They were kind of wise men or magicians or, or soothsayers that were uh, uh, consultants for King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they came and snitched on Daniel and his friends, so they show up and they said, hey, didn't you say when the music plays, everybody had to worship this statue? And of course, Nebuchadnezzar was like, yeah, it was a great party and everybody was having a great time because if they didn't have a great time, I was going to put them in the barbecue pit. And so like everybody's agreeing with that. But then they began to say that there are some, this is verse 12, who have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they snitch them out by names. And they say, who pay no attention to you. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. And we've already established that Nebuchadnezzar is not a chill guy. And so he's furious. And he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he knows these guys. Okay, they had been committed into his service. They had kind of been re-educated. They were put into places of provincial influence and power. They were officials really in the empire at this point. And he calls them in and he says, hey, this is what I'm hearing. This is the report. Is it true that when this took place that this didn't happen? And he doesn't really even allow them to answer because he's like, I'm not actually even interested in if it's true or not. Here's the ultimatum he gives them. 
if you are ready to fall down and worship the image, then very good. But if you do not, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will rescue you from my hand. So that's the background. That's the setup of where we get to this chapter three. And we're kind of moving towards this showdown in a case. And all through the book of Daniel, both Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they come into these moments where their faith is being tested. They come into these moments that become almost all or nothing type of situations. A moment where the resiliency of their faith is going to be put to the test, and this is one of those. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing before the king. He's given them the ultimatum, and everybody's waiting. And this is the answer that they give. This is Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, and the words will be up on the screen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. Now, I want to pause just right there. Okay, that's a pretty tremendous statement of faith, isn't it? This is a declaration of who God is and what he can do right? Our God is in charge. Our God is going to deliver. This is the type of faith that is demonstrated when you and I are looking at situations that are challenging, when we're looking at situations that are unfavorable, when we're looking at situations that are really places where nobody else sees hope, and we say, no, God can handle this. These are the types of statements that we make back at the prayer station when we say, hey, this was what was spoken by the doctor, or this is what has been spoken uh, about me, or this is what my current situation is but I know that God can and will change it. Okay, these are, these are great statements of faith and they are important. But resiliency is found in the next part of the statement because many of us can muster enough faith to say, I believe God's gonna change this and can move into a place where we're gonna fight and contend for the things of God, for the kingdom of God, for there to be change and breakthrough, and we can even see and hope and believe that what is gonna happen is going to change our situation, our life, our circumstance, or that of others. We can contend for that hope-filled future. But resiliency is found in the next statement where they said, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. That's resilient faith. Resilient faith says, I know God can change my circumstance, but even if he doesn't, my faith isn't going to change. I know that God can make this into something that is better, or I know that God can bring about this healing, or I believe and I know and I can contend that God is gonna bring about this breakthrough. I've seen him do it before. I know he can do it again, but you know what? Even if he doesn't, I will not be moved. That's resilient faith. That's resilient faith. That's, that's different types of faith. For many of us, it's a challenge to get to a place where we just have the faith that declares that we believe who God is and what he can do. There's a growth and a maturity that has to happen in us. There's certainly uh, a growing sense 
of faith that gets to that place where we're willing to really believe God, take him at his promises, and risk it all to follow him. But it is another step further to say, even if nothing changes, my faith will not waver. Even if nothing changes, my faith will not waver. This is what resilient faith looks like. And in verse 19, it says that Nebuchadnezzar was so uh, heartfelt and touched by their faith that he threw a different... No, it doesn't say that. This guy has no chill, right? It says that he was furious, and he ordered the furnace that he was going to throw them into already to be heated up seven times. I don't even know how they took the temperature back then, but they're going out of their way to say it was hot, but now it's going to be hot, hot. I'm of the school of thought that all fire is hot, right? Hot, hot, don't touch. But he, he made it, however they measured this, seven times hotter. Scripture goes out of its way to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were wearing their clothes, they were wearing their turbans, they were full in their regalia, that they were bound with ropes, and that they were thrown in, and that it was so hot that when the furnace doors were opened, the soldiers who were attending them to throw them in, those soldiers fell down dead from the heat blast. And that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire. And then all of a sudden, verse 24, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they said, yeah, we can count to three just like you. One, two, three, we tossed them in there. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire. They're unbound, so the, 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 the bounds have been loosed or have been displaced. They're unbound, they're unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a son of God. And so there's like this miraculous thing that's taking place. He's double-checking with everybody else that his math's good. They're like, yep, nope, all the math's good. And then there's an extra guy in there, what's going on? And so it says that he calls to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the fire. And they come out. And it says that he and all of his royal officials looked at them and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed, their ropes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. When I was in junior high, I had a chance to work a part-time job at a hot dog stand in front of a high V grocery store in the Midwest. And so I'd show up there on Saturday and I don't remember what we got paid by the hour, but I remember I ate a lot of hot dogs by the hour. And uh, so that was, that was what we were doing. And I remember one time we had these gas grills. It was kind of push-button start. And I went over there, and I checked the grill, and I opened the lid, and there was no flame, right? So we hadn't been cooking hot dogs for a while. And I didn't know anything about the mistake I was about to make, but I just shut the lid again and then sitting there bent forward, and I pushed the ignition button. Some of you are like, oh, I know what happened there. The whole thing had been filling up with the propane. I hit that button, and that that barbecue opened its mouth like this, and it like breathed fire in my face. Blue, and I remember screaming out loud, and in my head, I'm thinking of like Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm thinking about like the, the, the soldiers in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when the Ark of the Covenant was open. I'm thinking about Large Marge and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Like I'm thinking that my face is just like, some of you are like, those movies are sold. Well, those are the movies I was thinking of back then. And I remember just like, I felt like my fa- I had to be disfigured, like horribly disfigured, I'm sure of it. 
And I went, I started gingerly touching my face, and I was good, right? I mean, I still look good, so. Uh, but I do remember touching my eyebrows with my eyes open and watching the ash fall from my face. And I remember going like this to my eyelids and just watching my, my eyelashes just tumble out of my face. And that was just like, that's just the barbecue belching fire at me, and I singed all of my stuff. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no singe, nothing. Many of you, you guys go camping, right? You go camping out at the reservoir. You camp one night. You come home, you take a shower. You still smell like a campfire for three or four days. Everybody knows that you went camping. You can't get it out of your hair or your clothes. They were in the furnace. They come out, no singe, no smell. An absolute miracle. What's really interesting is like Nebuchadnezzar does a full-on 180 in the other direction. Again, he has no chill. At first, he was like, hey, you're going to worship this statue or I'm going to burn you alive. Now, at the end, he says this. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language that say anything about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut up into pieces and their house turned into a pile of rubbles for no other God can do or save in that way. So he just swings the whole other way. Like Nebuchadnezzar's got a lot of problems. You can read the whole book of Daniel to see some more of those. It goes through a process of refinement and humility by the Lord. But there was, this, there was just this remarkable deliverance See, but the, the resilient faith, like we, we read the story, we see the courage and the statement of faith, and then we see the deliverance of God, and we're like, man, that, that would be awesome. But their resilience in their faith was not that God saved them. The resilient statement of faith that said, even if we go into that fire and never come out, I'm not moving. I will not compromise. I'm, I'm not going to diminish or deflate like the resiliency of their faith was in that place. And you and I would all hope that we would have that type of faith. Every single one of us here would, would want to be a man of God, a woman of God, that when life pressed us and when we were forced to persevere, that our faith didn't waver, that we didn't compromise, that we weren't overcome by doubt. But the truth of the matter is, is that many times that is part of our experience. And it's because resilient faith has to be developed. We don't just wish for it. And so I want to take a few moments here to just give you a few simple steps to begin to move forward. Even in this week, if you are somebody who wants to develop a faith that has resilience to it, that has substance to the hope, that has the ability to not just endure and persevere, but to be whole and complete at the other side of that. And the first thing that we're going to find is going to go back to Daniel chapter 1. That resilient faith is something that begins with practice. If you're a note taker, write this down. Resilient faith, resilience in your faith is going to begin with practice. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all carried away to Babylon. They are integrated into this re-education uh, program, and they are in the royal home uh, in, the, in, the, in the royal palace, and they are being fed uh, what, the, what the royals ate. They put them on a diet. They put them on a, a stricture of kind of learning and fitness and all of those things. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel, as a spokesman for him and his four friends, made this resolution. It says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. If you read Daniel chapter 1 on its own, they are given the same diet as the king and all of the royal officials in attendance. So they have uh, all, of the, all of the food 
that everybody else was eating, but they purposed not to defile themselves. They understood that the way to worship the Lord, part of that was a dietary law that they wanted to follow, and they wanted to do that with precision, and they wanted to do that in a way that honored the Lord. And a lot of the meat that was going to be given to them was going to be meat that had been sacrificed to other idols, and there was going to be meat that would have been part of the restrictions for their diet. And so Daniel purposed in his heart, I'm not going to compromise in this little thing. He was faithful in something little. Listen to me. Being faithful in little things builds your faith. Being faithful in little things will build your faith. Many of us try to get to big faith at the end of something. We're just hoping, man, I just need to have more faith. Do the little things faithfully, and you will grow big faith. If you just hope for big faith, it will always be a wish. It's, it has to be cultivated. It has to be developed. Faith is put into action. Love is put into action. So many of those things that are Christian virtues are things that we're supposed to put into action, and they build upon one another. They grow. We don't get to start at the finish line. We get to run the race well. So they had made it their habit to honor the Lord in the little things. If you read the rest of Daniel chapter 1, they asked the officials to put them to a test. They restricted their diet to just vegetables and water. And at the end of that, they were more healthy than the others. And they were allowed to just kind of follow their own dietary regulation. Doesn't mean that you have to become a vegetarian to have resilient faith. That's going to be a hard sell in northeast Colorado. But the, the, the primary thing to understand is that they were faithful in little things, physical and spiritual disciplines that were small, that built into big things later. When you move to Daniel chapter 2, and it seems like you just keep bumping in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, you just keep hitting these challenges to their faith. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, again, no chill. He has a nightmare right? He has a dream, and it's so concerning to him. He doesn't know what to do with it. He grabs all of his mystics, all of his soothsayers, all of his magicians, all of his people who are supposed to know what's going on, and he says, hey, you guys, I had a really bad dream, and I want you to tell me about it. I want you to tell me what it means, right? So he's trying to get some peace and some resolution to this, and here's their answer. They say, okay, you tell us what the dream is, and we'll tell you what it means, but he's so concerned about this, and he doesn't trust that they're going to give him the right information. He says, no, I'm not even going to tell you what I dreamt. Here's the deal. You're going to tell me what my dream was. Then you're going to tell me what my dream means. Right? That's an impossibility, isn't it? I show up at your house and say, hey, what did I dream last night? I, I, I don't know. Well, tell me what it means. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And so his, his magicians, his soothsayers, his mystics, they all say, hey, what you're asking for cannot be done. And he said, fine, you're all going to die, right? Again, no chill Nebuchadnezzar, you're all going to die. And since Daniel and his friends were considered among that group of wise people, the officials come to arrest Daniel, and he says, hey, what's going on? And the guy's like, hey, sorry, no chill Nebuchadnezzar says you're dead today, so uh, let's go, let's get this over with. And Daniel says, well, what's the problem? And so he tells him what the problem is, and he says, let me speak to him. And you can read in Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel goes and speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, what you're asking, no man can do, but God can. Let me go and pray on it. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17 to 19, we see that Daniel does something specific. He doesn't do this alone. Let's look at these verses together. It says, then Daniel returned to his house. 
And he explained the manner the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. If you read 1, 2, and 3, you'll find out that Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, that that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had their Babylonian names given to them, but these were their Jewish names. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God of heaven. And you read the rest of chapter two. He goes in and he tells the king, this is what your dream was. This is what it means. And everybody is given a stay of execution. Not only saves his own life, but the life of all of the others. But what's important is that at this moment of faith, in this crisis of faith, Daniel and his friends do two things. One is they had developed an ear to listen to God. And two, they did that together. Resilient faith has developed an ear for the voice of God. But part of you and I discerning what God has said Okay, his word is helpful in that because God is going to speak and it's going to sound a lot like the way that he has already spoken in the past. There's going to be a sense of learning to quiet your heart and to discipline yourself in prayer so that you spend time listening, not just complaining about what needs to change in your life. But the third thing is that there's a community piece to discerning the, the, the word of God, the voice of God. How many times have you read something in scripture and it leaves you scratching your head? How many times have you been in a, in a place of prayer and you're like, well, it seems like God might be saying this, but I'm not quite sure. What do you do with those things? Flip a coin and hope for the best? No, you gather the community of believers around you and say, hey, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. Does that make sense? Because you can hear and think and come to conclusions about a whole bunch of things that aren't even close to being doctrinal or scriptural or correct when it comes to the character, nature, and activity of God. You can cherry pick a verse out of scripture from almost anywhere and come to wildly, wildly uh, 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 wrong conclusions. In fact, people do that all the time. And you can find that uh, in almost any Facebook forum where people are arguing about Jesus stuff. The, there's a community piece to this. Resilient faith begins with practice. Be faithful to the little things that'll build your faith. Resilient faith has developed an ear to recognize God's voice. We do that by knowing his word. We do that by spending time in prayer, but we do that together as a collective as we learn to discern the voice of God. And then the last one is this, and you find this in that Daniel chapter three. Again, resilient faith has already made a choice. Listen to me. It's already made a choice to be all in. Like when they made that statement, Nebuchadnezzar, even if he doesn't, nuts to this. Like they were, they were all in. In Philippians chapter one, Paul is writing from prison in Rome. He's writing back to the church in Philippi. He's imprisoned, he's endured a number of hardships at this point, but this was his perspective on his circumstance. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, to die is is gain. Paul had resolved already at this point that it didn't matter whether he was ever free again or whether he was put to death. He was going to live out his days for Jesus 
And as long as he was alive, he was going to serve in faith. And as, if his life was taken, then he would be with the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for Jesus or I'm going to go to be with Jesus. There was a resolve that had already taken place where he had chosen to go all in. And certainly that's a challenging place to be, to consider what would it look like for your life to be on the line. And our hope and our desire would be that you're never put into that type of a situation. But there are smaller micro expressions of faith and uh, decision making in our lives where we need to decide we're going to go all in. Where I'm going to go all in in following uh, Jesus' example of love. I'm going to go all in on living a life of generosity. I'm going to go all in on speaking the truth in love. I'm going to go all in on contending for the things of God. I'm going to go all in on saying yes to the opportunity that Jesus gives me to be his hands and feet in my community. There are so many different places in our lives where we need to consider this. And in those smaller places, if you would choose to go all in and take those steps, it will build a resiliency in your faith that when you have to face something that's bigger and more difficult, you're able to do that. They didn't start with having to say, uh, we're ready to go to the fiery furnace. They started with, hey, we're not going to compromise in our diet. It was little things that built big faith, and the same is true for you and I. And as we close this morning, we're going to ask the Lord to show us those little things that we could do. If you would stand, church family, worship team, if you would come forward, we're going to take a few moments to respond. As the worship team makes their way forward, I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for a second because there's one other thing that resilient faith recognizes. A resilient faith believes that God will meet them in the fire. Not just save them from the fire, but meet them in the fire. One of the most remarkable parts of this story is not that God delivered because he seemed to do that over and over in the Old Testament narratives but the way in which he did it. He didn't put the fire out. He didn't cause the king to have a change of heart. He didn't change the experience that they were about to go through or the circumstances. You see that God was present in it. Nebuchadnezzar exclaims in amazement that there are four in the fire. There's a couple different ideas of who that fourth one was. Some people would lean into it being an angel, although the word messenger and the word for angel isn't used in the context. Many conservative scholars would say that this is what's called a Christophany. We would be a pre-incarnate Jesus. But really, regardless of which side that you would lean towards, what's very clear is that they didn't go into the fire alone. They weren't left in that place alone. And that deliverance came at the presence of God. Hananiah's name means the Lord shows grace. The name Azariah means the Lord helps. And the name Mishael means who is equal to God, even in the names that they were given. They were faith-filled statements of how God would meet them 
in that place. Lord, many of my friends here, when they considered those early questions, would like me have to admit that there's times where our faith wavers, that when we go through difficulty, that our faith weakens, that we are unsure of what to do, that oftentimes our faith is deflated. When our prayers seem to go unanswered, Lord, that we begin to waver and doubt. And when we face anxiety and depression and those kind of those dark, those dark nights of the soul, we can feel overwhelmed. There's times where we're overcome by fear and Lord, instead of responding in faith, we lash out trying to hold on, trying to make our own way, trying to use our own strength, trying to gain control. And Lord, even in the futility of that, even knowing that intuitively, Lord, we would naturally respond that way. And for us to respond in a different way, for us to respond with a faith that endures and perseveres and remains resilient, Lord, we need you to do a new work in us. And so, Lord, for me and for some of my friends here today, we need to be reminded of the little things that we need to practice that will build a strong faith. Right now, Lord, to our hearts and to our minds, would you bring to our attention the things that we need to be faithful in that will build our faith. Lord, some of us need to develop an ear to hear your voice. We're listening to every other voice but yours. We're listening to all the commentators. We're listening to all the naysayers. Lord, we're hearing a cacophony of sound around us in our culture. We're inundated by voices through social media and through all types of outlets. And Lord, it can be hard for us to discern your voice. Would you help us to develop an ear to hear? Lord, that we would know your word and weigh what we are hearing according to that. Lord, that we would take time to listen in prayer. And that we would invite others to be a part of a community that helps us discover and discern what you would be speaking to our situation. Lord, some of us this morning need to take a step of courage that says we're going all in. Going all in and following Jesus. For some people that might be an area, for some people that might be a moment of salvation, but we're choosing to go all in. And Lord, for each of us, we need to be encouraged that you become present in the fire. Lord, that regardless of what we're facing right now, what diagnosis, what difficulty, what challenge, or that places where our hope might be waning, our circumstance looks like it will never change, or that you would meet us in that place and that we would see you as the Lord who shows grace, the Lord who comes to help, and the Lord who has no equal. Help us to be resilient in our faith because we have built that, we have developed it, we've allowed you to do that work in us, it has become mature. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few action steps for you this week just to kind of begin to practice and build your faith. Number one is begin to build your faith through being faithful in little things. So identify what those things could be and begin to do those dutifully. Number two, take time this week to practice listening prayer. Quiet your heart in that place and turn your ear to the Lord. And then number three, invite Jesus into your difficulties and trust that he will be present with you as you walk through those.